I've I've had the same amount of vision since birth, so it's it's normal to me. Like it's it is what it is, and and I've just adapted from a super young age, and so you know people ask me questions like what's the most challenging thing or like what do you miss the most and things like that and it's like well i've had the same amount of vision since birth so it's it's my norm (laughs) hey there podcast listener if this is your first time here welcome to the eat half walk double podcast coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in lovely Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports. As an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member. It's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Jesse Lowry and Steve Waterman are my guests this week. It's been said to be inspired is to listen to the whispers of the heart. Truth be told, all great achievements can trace their origins back to inspiration. And whether they intentionally set out to do it or not, their story has been and likely will be an inspiration to others. Jesse is a blind athlete. Steve is her guide. Together they alpine ski, rock climb, and compete in triathlon. Jesse was raised without limitation or barriers, free to explore the natural world in her own way. Her boundless spirit is a wonderful match for Steve as he too enjoys adventure. To watch them together is to understand the true meaning of trust. Well, here they are, Jesse Lowry and Steve Waterman. Jesse and Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. We're excited to be here. Thank you. Jesse, I, I have it on very good authority um, that, that you have one of the most loyal, most handsome, smartest guides around. Are you talking about Steve or my dog? <laughs> How is Elwood, by the way? He's great. He's fast asleep in his bed. Steve actually took him for a run before the podcast, so he's sleeping. Well, well, I, I, I appreciate you asking me for clarification because we, uh, you, you actually, you actually, yeah, you actually probably do have several loyal, handsome, smart guides and we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, in fact, we're going to get in, we're going to talk about, uh, Elwood, uh, a little bit more later. So, so stay tuned, uh, to that. Um, so I, I once read that, uh, to be inspired is to listen to the whispers of the heart. You know, if you if you dig in deep enough into Merriam-Webster's definition of inspiration, you'll find this definition. It's actually it's actually listed fourth. Um, And that and it goes something like this. A a divine. So inspiration is a is a divine influence or action on a person believed to qualify him or her to receive and communicate a sacred revelation. In other words, to be inspired is to have your purpose to humanity revealed. Um, now, 
sounds about right. Yeah, and 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 I, and I, I want to get your 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 take on that, but 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 let me let me give you a little bit more um, of of my understanding of what of what inspiration is, and I'm we'll kind of sort of tie this all together here in just a moment. So uh, for me, there are three three parts to inspiration. Um, there's something called evocation. An evocation is the idea that inspiration is created spontaneously and without intent. Um, uh, trans uh, uh, trans transcendence. Transcendence is the notion that inspiration comes to us in moments of clarity and with the awareness of new possibilities. And then something called approach motivation, which is which is a fancy way of saying that the person with the inspiration seeks to communicate that vision either by talking about it, creating it, or letting others share in it. Um, and I say all that to say this, that I, I believe that, that your collective story, the two of you, um, is inspirational. Um, my question, my, my, my opening question, well, actually my second question, uh, aside from, from the Elwood question, was, <laughs> is this. Uh, Jesse, who or what inspires you? You know, I thought about this ahead of time, um, knowing that the podcast was going to be about inspiration. And I don't know that I have specific people because I think that changes depending on my goals, my athletic pursuits, my professional um, just goals in life in general. And so I think what inspires me is when someone does something epic, like when they do something really cool or you know, kind of out there that you don't see all the time. Um, you know, not just like your ordinary day to day stuff, but, you know, if someone hikes a really big mountain or, you know, crushes the 48, 4,000 footers or does an Ironman or does an ultra, things like that. Hmm. Now, I mean, generally speaking, uh, Jesse, do you, do you follow celebrity type athletes or, 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 or can you find, and do you find inspiration in the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things? No, in fact, I am totally out of the loop on celebrity athletes. Some people will mention like, Oh, did you hear so-and-so like PR'd? And I'm like, who is that? Like, should I know who that is? <laughs> um, and so I think it's the ordinary people that do extraordinary stuff. Um, and so like the moms that are crushing things, the single dads that are crushing things, the, you know, young athletes or older athletes, like just ordinary people that do cool stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and Steve, what, 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 what about you? Who, who, or what inspires you? I don't know as if I really have an answer on who, I don't think I have one specific person i guess it was just i started doing things and i just kind of kept going with it um i didn't really have anyone that inspired me i guess i i i don't know as if i did hmm. um i mean like 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 jesse uh and 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 like myself and we we you know we're the three of us are connected uh <clears throat> to a pretty uh, robust and diverse athletic community to, to Jesse's yeah. point, um, uh, who are out there, you know, doing some really cool things. Um, yeah. 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 I and I'd uh, be following in, in what she said, it's, it's people that do, I mean, you hear 
through Facebook and through friends of, you know, so-and-so did this, a PR this, they, they broke a, they did the, the Wombat on and on. That's just. I also feel like I get inspired too. Like when we hear one of our friends say like, Oh, I just did this race and it was really cool. And it's like, Oh, that sounds awesome. Like I'm going to look it up. Um, You know, like I saw on Facebook the other day, somebody did a marathon in Jekyll Island, Georgia, and his mom, Steve's mom is there for the winter. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, who knew (laughs) now I want to do it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, for uh, for me in the in the profession that I'm in, um, you know, as 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 both a race director and uh, and a professional endurance coach, um, I mean, I'm I'm fortunate. I get the opportunity to meet and interact with a with a lot of people. Oh yeah. Um, most of the stuff that the people, most of the stuff that the people that I know uh, that they're doing, I would never do. Um, but ne- but nevertheless. Um, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has happened. And, and, and I wonder if this is the case for, for, for the two of you that, um, uh, you know, you, someone in your network talks about this race that they did. They did this race called seven sisters. Now, what is seven sisters? <laughs> is it actually seven sisters or what, what, what did this, who are the seven sisters and why is everybody doing this race called seven sisters? And it, it very likely for me, um, uh, that the, for instance, a, a race like seven sisters was inspired. I was inspired to do it by hearing stories of other people doing yeah, it. Now, exactly. it. Turns out, yeah, it turns yeah. out it was a really, it was a really, it was a big mistake because it was, <laughs> it was probably one of the most difficult trail races I've ever done. But, yeah. uh, but have either of you had a similar experience with hearing about an event and, and uh, from, from friends or, or, or within your mm-hmm. network and ter- yes. after hearing about it, you end up doing it yourself. Well, I got inspired I'm sorry. I got inspired for triathlons by a running group that I was a part of. And so I started back running after college. And, you know, once, once I moved back to New Hampshire, I found a network of runners and we were on a run and they kept talking about triathlons. And in one part of my head, I'm like, wow, these people sound insane. And then in the other part, I'm like, this sounds so cool. Like, um, you know, I want to know more about triathlon. And then I signed up actually for my first triathlon. Um, I only knew how to doggy paddle, (laughs) Um, but I signed up for my first triathlon anyway. And so I was definitely inspired by them just talking about their experiences and their love for triathlon. And so, yeah, yeah, I got inspired. Yeah, Steve. Steve, I, I I know you've done Seven Sisters. Uh, was yeah. were, were you inspired to do Seven Sisters by was, by the yes. stories of of friends who'd done it? I was going to say my son did Seven Sisters. I think two years or at least once before, you know, I did it, and he kind of I guess he would be an inspiration in that hmm. sense. Yeah. He was out doing. He was doing uh, bigger races, and it was something that I kind of became interested in. Yeah. And I, and I, I guess the, the long and the short of it when it comes to inspiration and, and why I think this particular podcast episode is, is so important in that um, wh- whether, whether we intend to be inspirations for other people or not, um, we don't really have much control over that you know, right. through, through our actions. And, 
and uh, and 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 how we how we lead our lives. Um, mm -hmm. We there there is the potential that 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 we can inspire other people. Just not because we're actively attempting to do it, but just through the through the things that we do and and yeah. the ways yeah, that yeah. the ways that we do them. So yeah. um, don't even realize you're doing it. Yeah, well, that's kind of yeah. I, I guess that's sort of sort of my point. Mm -hmm. um, well, for the listener who doesn't know either of you, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Um, you know who you are, uh, where you're from, what you do. Jesse, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so I'm Jesse Laurie. I was born and raised in Springfield, New Hampshire, which is a really small town, um, not too far from Concord, and kind of between Concord and Lebanon would be the major cities, I guess, and um, was raised in what would be considered a typical family, you know, mom, dad, sister. Um, we owned a lot of animals, dogs, horses, pigs, chickens, cats. Um, and so I was always outside and active as a kid. And like most kids, I decided I was sick of that. And I wanted a change of pace once I graduated high school. So I went off to Providence College in Providence, Rhode Island for my bachelor's, um, then went to Worcester Mass to Assumption College for my master's and then went, what the heck am I doing? Why am I in a city? I want to go home. <laughs> and so I came back to New Hampshire and now live um, close to my family um, and work full time and pursue a ton of different uh, activities. So I'm a triathlete, uh, horseback rider, rock climber, uh, skier, both cross country and downhill. Uh, Steve last year got me into ice climbing <laughs> and um, really any sort of adventurous thing I can get my hands on. Mm. And um, as mentioned earlier in the podcast, Elwood's my guide dog. So I've been blind since birth. Um, and I, I, I want to get in, uh, in, into, into all of those topics. Um, um, much deeper. Uh, and just quick follow-up question, Jesse, if you don't mind sharing, you don't necessarily have to mention who you work for if you don't want to, but what, what do you do uh, professionally? So I work for the state of New Hampshire, actually, as a vocational rehabilitation counselor. And so I carry a caseload of blind and vision impaired folks and help them to pursue their dreams and goals, basically. So um, voc rehab, you have to have a job goal as your end goal. Um, so my job is getting people to work, but that can encompass um, a lot of skills ahead of time. So, you know, helping, helping people learn how to travel safely as a blind person, helping them have confidence in cooking and cleaning and living independently, um, giving people the confidence to interview well, um, you know, everything that comes before getting a job that most people don't even think about, but for a lot of people who either lose their vision later in life, like, you know, mid adult, that's, that's a huge change in lifestyle for them. And so, you know, helping them get back up to adapt. Yeah. Helping them adapt and, you know, get back up to where they want to be. And um, I carry a lot of a good amount of teenagers on my caseload, you know, teenagers and young adults. Um, and they're fun. 
that's a fun group. It all looked up to her adventure. <laughs> that's a fun group. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Steve, Steve, same question. Uh, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Steve Waterman, um, born in Ohio, actually, moved to Massachusetts at an early age. Um, and we had a camp in Northern Maine. We actually still have it and kind of grew up there in the summers doing outdoor stuff, fishing, swimming, lots and lots of swimming, biking, just hanging out, um, which was a fantastic childhood. Uh, construction is what I do now and I've done since out of high school. Um, I didn't really play many sports in high school. I was in a pretty big high school. So you tried out for your sports teams and, and I, I just wasn't that good at like basketball, soccer, which I played both. Um, but then I, I kind of got out of it. My daughters, I, uh, I had three, the son, obviously he's the, the seven sisters, but then I've also got three daughters. Um, I ended up raising them alone since they were very young. And I didn't have much time to do much of anything. I put them into all the sports that I could. I had a middle daughter, Erica, that played lots and lots of basketball. My oldest was soccer and my youngest was uh, volleyball. So it was just devoting a lot of time to that. But once they graduated and went to the various colleges, UNH, um, Springfield College in Mass, it was kind of my turn to start playing. So that's when I started getting into the running. Um, mm. And that's, I don't know where that came from. Besides Shane, I guess that would have been the inspiration for running. Yeah. Yeah. So you're sort of a, you're sort of a, a late bloomer. A late bloomer, yeah. <laughs> as, well, as, as, as it relates to, uh, to athletics and, and, yeah, and, athletics, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that, yeah. And that's, that's somewhat of an understatement based on, uh, uh, yeah. based on some of the pretty, cool stuff that you two are doing athletically, oh, once yeah. again, yeah, which, yeah. Is, which I, is, which is what I want to talk about. Um, running, I got into the mountain climbing and then kind of took it from there. And it's just, and then I met her and then it took off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the, the, the story continues to, to evolve. Um, yeah. 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 Jesse, I was fortunate to meet you uh, through Steve. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you, you and I, um, you and I had, had no, have known of each other. I don't know that I had had the opportunity to actually meet you in person uh, until just very recently. We were mm -hmm. at a, a friend's wedding and yeah, uh, right. we, yep, uh, and that's when I that's when I actually had had the opportunity uh, to meet you, uh, Jesse. Steve, uh, you and I have have known each other a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I'm one of the one of the neat things about this this podcast is it it gives me an opportunity to um, uh, re remember yeah the stories of how I came to know folks uh, right. like yourself. And so as I was thinking about it, Steve, I was thinking, um, well, uh, my, my sense was that um, you and I came to know each other through a, a set of mutual friends, uh, probably lakes region 
friends, that network of people. But it but it also could have been at a Winter Wild. I know you yeah. did Winter Wild for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, do you do you remember the story, Steve, of how you and I came to know each other? I, vaguely. Um, I'll let you tell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually I was actually counting on you to tell it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. thinking, geez, I, I mean, with through acidotic, um, through Jim Bull. Yeah, um, Patty yeah. Higgins, I mean, a lot yeah. of the acidotic people. Okay, um, okay. we got um, to know each other. Okay, through yeah. that and different races, and that I can now thinking about it, thinking back, um, I remember doing the Mountain Goat series, and to this day I can still remember I was at the Fells, the Fells race at, at yeah. Um, yeah. Bret yeah the Bretton Woods Fells race. race, yeah, and I got my mountain goat t-shirt and that had to have been one of the proudest moments of my life i'm yeah. serious i got the shirt and i was just like this is Pre it this yeah is pretty really cool. cool that was probably 2016 2017 yeah, i want to say it was maybe 18 2018. it could have been 2018 yeah in yeah. that in that that, that ballpark was a true inspiration but i mean we had met before that yeah yeah so uh, I guess yeah. the long and the short of it is, uh, is, is through the running communities, you know? And, yes, yes. And, um, uh, I, yeah. And, and, and Jesse, when I, when I looked at our, uh, mutual friends that we share on social media, um, uh, all of them are somehow connected to the endurance community here. Uh, that does in, not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. In, in, in the read. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, in, 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 yeah, in fact, probably the majority of my, uh, social media network uh, is somehow mm -hmm. connected yeah. in one way, shape, or form uh, to the endurance racing communities. Um, so, Jesse, I want to get into your story uh, a little bit more. Um, so, triathlon, downhill skiing, Nordic skiing, horseback riding, hiking, rock climbing. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything that you don't do? <laughs> um well sit steve still. yeah sit still <laughs> um steve is trying to talk me into skydiving and i'm a little hesitant on that one <laughs> <laughs> well funny because i uh i mentioned social media so i, I as part of my show prepped oftentimes i uh, i head over to people's social media uh, mm -hmm. accounts and just just to get an idea of some of the things that they've done well sure enough as i was scrolling through steve's picture there <laughs> are photos from what what uh well, some time yeah. back. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometime. No, that was my youngest daughter's birthday was one of them. And I you had, went you went skydiving is what I is what I was showing. Sure, sure yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you haven't been skydiving yet, Jesse. I guess that's one thing that you, Not yet. you, you have yet to check <laughs> off your list. Um uh Jesse, I think you know an important part of your story um uh is 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 your is your blindness and i mm -hmm. i'm wondering if if you would if you would share with with myself and the listener a little bit more of that you mentioned um since since childhood or child since you were since you were very very young can you can you talk a little bit more about that what uh what what the condition is and yeah and and um and how that's how that's evolved yeah, so I have what's called Lieber's congenital amorosa, and it impacts my retina and then the nerves going from my retina back to my brain. Um, and so I can see some things, but not great. Like when I talk to my guides, I say, pretend like I can't see anything just in case I miss something. Um, but typically I can see like shapes, shadows, 
Um, peripheral is better than central for sure. Um, sometimes my depth perception is a little off, but like, I'll know that there's a step, but sometimes I'm not sure if it's like, you know, a foot down or five feet down. Um, yeah. And then it's weather, like lighting plays a big role. So a lot of people make the assumption, oh, it must be really nice when it's really sunny and bright out. And it's like, no, it's really nice when it's cloudy, even though I miss the sun. Um, you know, cloudy days are my good vision days just because there's no shadows and sun in my eyes. Right, and so right. um, I can read large print, like if it's big enough, like um, on cereal boxes or something like that. But I can't read print effectively enough to like, I'm not fast enough at reading print to make it efficient. And so I know how to read Braille. And I also use a lot of auditory um, like I have a screen reader on my computer and then the iPhone has built-in accessibility features. So I use voiceover on the iPhone. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had the same amount of vision since birth. So it's, it's normal to me. Like it's, it is what it is. And, and I've just adapted from a super young age. And so, you know, people will ask me questions like, what's the most challenging thing? Or like, what do you miss the most? And things like that. And it's like, well, I've had the same amount of vision since birth. So it's, mm. it's my norm. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes, like, I don't know any different. Right. Um, and I got my first guide dog when I was 17. So I was a senior in high school. I knew from a really young age that I wanted to work dogs as opposed to using a cane to travel. And so got my first one at 17. And He's number three. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. What? So what? What? What was your? What was your childhood like? I mean, how? It, well, actually, do, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister, an older sister, Katie. Yeah. Um, she's two and a half years older than me. Yeah. And we were raised very much the same, and so Katie's fully sighted, um, no disabilities, and her and I both were outside riding our bikes and taking care of the horses, and my parents were very much we're raising both our girls the same way. Um, definitely wasn't sheltered. Like they didn't baby us. Um, you know, they were super supportive in everything we wanted to do as far as athletics. Her and I both were interested in horseback riding from a young age. Um, she played field hockey. We lived on, you know, five or six acres. And so we were always just outside and getting dirty and, might have gotten a couple of bruises and you know it was just right. it was just the way of life like sisterly yeah no and we just yeah like we just <laughs> you know we're raised like typical country oh. kids mm. do you um do you do you think that your parents approach um uh was an important factor um for you and 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 who you became to be and and your adventurous spirit and I mean oh do you, for sure yeah yeah my parents fostered anytime I said like I want to try downhill skiing they were like okay and they started researching like you know adaptive skiing programs um and you know I'm only 29 but back even back when I was a kid there wasn't as many programs and support for parents with with blind kids and so my mom really had to be kind of a trailblazer, my mom and my dad, as far as opportunities for me. And 
and stuff like that to keep me doing what my peers were doing. Um, whereas now, well, you know, most of what you're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, like now there's so many different opportunities um, for youth with disabilities, particularly blindness, you know, there's a ton of adaptive camps and stuff like that. And so it, you know, there's definitely been a lot of education and programs that have developed. But when I was a kid, it was, I was the only blind kid that I knew. And so I was skiing with sighted peers. I was horseback riding with sighted peers. I was the only blind kid in my school. Like, I don't know. I just, I was, that was like my normal little world and I didn't know anything different. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and, and I mean, you make a really good point about, um, you know, when you get the typical question of, you know, what, what have some of your greatest obstacles you've overcome or some of the greatest mm -hmm. challenges you've overcome? Uh, <laughs> not knowing any different, um, how, how would you possibly put, put them in perspective? Your, your greatest challenges were probably every teenager's greatest challenge. It just, they weren't necessarily greater for you because, because you were blind. Cause you didn't know, you didn't really know any different. Would you say that that's fair? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can, I can put myself like in someone else's shoes and I can say like, yeah, not driving, it's a pain in the neck, but like there's workarounds for that and stuff like that. But as far as like, like I've gotten questions like, what do you miss? Or like, yeah. kind of like a poor you attitude. And it's like, I don't know any different. Like, as far as I'm concerned, like this is normal. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I, and that, that, that makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, of, of course, I, I want to know more about Elwood um, <laughs> because um, uh, like you, um, I have a love of dogs. Um, my dogs are not working dogs. My dogs are Labrador retrievers, but they're not working oh, Labrador retrievers. Yeah, Boone and Tucker. I'm not sure exactly what they're good for. Really, probably <laughs> uh, other than other than companionship, probably not much more. Well, than they're that. labs, so they're the best dog. <laughs> well, for sure. So yeah, so 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 tell us a little bit more about Elwood. Okay, um, so Elwood's my like I said, my third guide dog. He comes from Guiding Eyes for the Blind in Yorktown Heights, New York, and he is going to be seven in April. Um, and he was actually trained as Guiding Eyes has what's called a running dog program. And so on top of a dog's normal guide work, they evaluate the dogs to see if they have an interest in running. And they only take the dogs that show a real interest in running. Like they're not going to make a dog run and guide if they're not interested in running. Um, and so he did show an interest and they, they trained him to run and guide me. So not only can I, you know, ask him to work in Concord or Boston or wherever we go. Um, I can also just put the harness on and go for a run independently. And, you know, that means not needing to coordinate anyone else's schedules and, you know, it's nice. I can just grab my dog and go. Um, he's a 80 pound yellow lab. And I say that he has the biggest blockiest head because it is just when I first met him, I was like, Oh my gosh, look at his head. Um, a lot of compliments. <laughs> um, one of my coworkers says that his paws are like mini snowshoes that he has really big paws and he's just a big, he's just a big boy, just a big lab. Yeah. How, <laughs> um, how, yeah, how, how old, how old was he when you got him? Um, he 
I got him the month he turned two. So I got him April 4th and he turned to April 19th. Got it. Got it. Um, so he's, he's not, he's not technically working all the time. And and I I say that very, very much as a, as an uneducated, uneducated (laughs) statement, but, but, but I pick up on that. Yeah. Um, just based on looking at the pictures, because, um, you know, there are times in which, uh, you know, maybe you and Steve and Elwood are out for a winter hike. Um, he doesn't, he he's doesn't very appear- much not working. Yeah, he, right. Well, um, it kind of it looks that way to, to yeah. you know, to, to my untrained sense, but, um, mm-hmm. but tell us a little bit more about, um, uh, about when Elwood would be working when he wouldn't be working. And I'm just curious if that, if that's a challenge for him to be able to kind of switch it on and off. So no, it's not a challenge for him. He, I think does better in his work. He is flawless with his work. I've had to have him redo something maybe, you know, three times in the past five years of working together. He is such a good boy. Um, But he is working when the harness is on. So his, his guide, yeah, his guide dog harness. Um, so when, when his harness goes on, he gets really serious, still happy. Like he wags his tail and he's very much happy, but he's very alert, very serious, very focused and not super into other people. Like he, do, he, you know, he won't say hi necessarily to other people. He minds his business, keeps his focus. Um, and so when he's off his harness and either, and either just on a leash or loose, he's, you're totally different. Like your typical happy-go-lucky, I love everybody kind of lab, um, <laughs> playful, goofy. I mean, this dog is so silly, like just his facial expressions and he's a big goofball. <laughs> um, what, but yeah, yeah, very much. a uh, It's a switch for sure. Yeah. Um, what, um, what, what misconceptions, if there are any, do you think people have, uh, uh, when they see uh, working dogs, or maybe said a, a, a different way, um, what's one of the more difficult things for you uh, and or for Elwood when you when he, when he is working, um, and you know maybe people want to approach him and give him a, a pet on the head yeah. or talk um, to him or like what wh- what are those challenges like? So I think people can get the misconception. So there's two. So like you said, our dog's always working. You know, is he always working? When when you see a dog that's guiding in a store or something and you don't know anything about him, you're probably like, oh, you know, that's his job. Like, that's what he does all the time. I've had people ask, like, does he guide in the house and stuff? And no, he does not. Um, and so he, yeah. Um, so I think that's a misconception. And then just the misconception about how much love and attention he gets. Um, I am really affectionate. Like when we're working, but he's like, you know, if we're standing in line, like waiting to check out at a store, for example, I'm always like petting his head, rubbing his ears, telling him he's a good boy. But I think a lot of people think like, wow, these dogs don't have a fun life. Like they're there to serve a purpose. And while that's true, like he is there to, you know, he, his job comes first and foremost. But I mean, he is so loved and so spoiled. And um, I think that's a huge misconception is just how much free time they get and how loved they truly are. Yeah. Um, and um, I, don't you get the sense that 
that he really loves to do what he does. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, if I go, you want to go help mama and I go get his harness. He like dances, <laughs> um, he dances. And then like, he gets so happy that he'll like curl his whole body and like smack himself in the face with his tail. <laughs> yeah. He gets, he's so excited when he hears his leash and collar and harness. Come Got out, a job. He's, Got a job. Yeah. Got he's, a job to do. <laughs> He's yeah, right I'm, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess it. I guess you know, to the, to, to the, to the unaccustomed or, or uneducated person, it, it can look like, um, you know, the, uh, the dog is, you know, is a, is a, is a servant. Uh, yeah. And 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 that's all that's that they that's it. that's all that they do. And while, right. Um. And and while serving is a is a big part of their life. It's not the only part of their life. I mean, truthfully, all people have to do is, is sort of take a peek at your, at your social media profile and you see pictures of Elwood and he's clearly yeah. doing his thing. <laughs> Lounging. <He> is- <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I worked him a couple miles around town today and he had a blast. And then when Steve got home, Steve went for a little run and took Elwood and Elwood was a totally off leash, <laughs> loose, happy dog. Um, I, I love it. Um, uh, actually, last question as it relates to uh, to Elwood. So you you said that uh, Elwood is your is your third uh, mm-hmm. uh, dog that you, that you've had. Um, generally speaking, from um, uh, from a, a a workability standpoint, from a service standpoint, yep. Uh, how long do these dogs stay in service typically? Typically, they'll retire anywhere between eight years old and 10 years old. Um, My last dog, Otis, who was also a yellow lab, he worked until he was nine. Um, You know, I've had friends whose dogs have worked until 12. Others retire much earlier. Hmm. And so it all depends on the dog. Um, They're making a choice to work. And so, um, but yeah, usually it's between eight years and 10 years old. So mm. we work them, we get them when they're around two. So, you know, six to eight years. Got it. Um, and um, actually another follow-up question. So um, there must be some overlap then in terms of, in terms of the dogs that you have, right? I mean, yep. In other words, you, you might have a retired dog, um, uh, but at the same time you, you have a new, uh, a new, a new service dog. Yep. So I had Otis for three and a half, almost four years. At the same time I had Elwood. <clears throat> yeah. And so the boys got along great and, um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, um, go lay on the couch and kind of laugh at Elwood. Yeah. You gotta go <laughs> like, work. Bye, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> I know dogs communicate with each other and uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I wonder, I wonder what some of those stories. I know were. if they were swapping guide stories. <laughs> right. For sure. They were. Um, well, Steve, you have a, you have a pretty active uh, background yourself. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about it. I mean, you, you, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that, that, um, you know, you were busy uh, raising your family. Mm-hmm. And so uh, athletics, uh, endurance sports, um, um, really became a part of your life, you know, once your, once your kids were, were older and, and, uh, out and doing their thing. Um, uh, why did you, why did you get involved in, uh, in, in, in endurance activities, uh, after your kids were, were grown? I mean, I've always been active and, and doing things outside. Um, and it just 
I started with the running um, and, and it just kind of grew from there. I mean, I, I started with 5Ks and 10Ks and turkey trots and, and things like that. Most are just to just kind of get back into shape, um, wanting to be in shape. And then it, it just kind of blossomed from there. I got into Seven Sisters and and did the, the Ragged 50K and I've done Loon Mountain and done a lot of the trail races. I really like the trail races um, or trail running in general, just because I like being out in the woods and the mountains. Um, and then I started back in with the, the 48, 4,000 footers, um, started climbing, trying to accomplish the list. But then that kind of got sidetracked a little bit because it was more I liked hiking in the northern presidentials. So I started doing those time and time again. Um, and then I met a friend that was a guide for a guide company up in North Conway. And he started talking about, oh, rock climbing and then ice climbing. And so it kind of went in that direction. And then Steve it got inspired. And then, <laughs> yes, I was inspired. And then. Uh, oh, thank you. Exactly. Colorado, the climbing, you know, hiking out there was just incredible. And uh, Mount Baker. Mount Baker, that was through my friend, the guide from New Hampshire. He does part of the year out in Washington for a company and, and back in the Washington area or Mount Washington area for, for winter. Um, so I went out and did Mount Baker uh, and just, it, it keeps going. Hmm. Just, yeah, well, we're... Uh... I mean, we're all fortunate, I think, to live uh, here in New Hampshire because there are, oh, yeah. you know, for folks oh, yeah. that for for folks that enjoy uh, for, for folks that enjoy outdoor activities, we just we have so many different things right at our disposal. They don't necessarily have to be competitive, although they right. can be competitive. We you know, there, there is there is competitive exciting, I guess. Yeah, there is competitive <laughs> trail running and competitive mountain running. Um, yeah, uh, but you don't. But again, you don't have to be competitive in order to enjoy the the outdoors here in New Hampshire. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, rock climbing uh, mm -hmm. and, and ice climbing. There's certainly no shortage of that uh, yeah. here in the state. And then. You mentioned the the 48 4000 footers so here in new hampshire um we have uh we have 48 peaks that are at least 4000 feet in elevation or higher it's referred mm -hmm. to as the 48 4000 footers and here in new hampshire for people that like to hike and for people that like to maintain and keep track of lists they you the there's work, a lot uh, of lists for hiking there are there are there are a lot of lists yes there's 48 4000 footers there's 52 with a view mm -hmm. there's the uh, new england highest there, yeah, there, yeah, there, there are there are there's in other words there's there's no shortage of things to keep always, us busy always something to climb always something <laughs> to climb always something for us to enjoy um so, Steve, actually, how, how many of the New Hampshire 48, 4,000 footers do you have left? Uh, I was afraid you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Be not afraid. I think it's, 30, isn't it? I think it's, up, it's in the low 30s. I, I've got to kind of revise my list. I've moved this past summer and I lost my master list and I've got oh, a few oh to add to it. But yeah. I'm right around 32 or 34. Yeah. And 32 um, or 34 done or 32 or 34 remaining? No, no. 32, 34 done. Gotcha. Um, Okay. But like I said, I got 
trapped in the northern presidentials just okay. because they're right. I, I liked it so much more i just started every time i went north that's where you, that's where you go. i was in the northern presidential so like, you've oh, got yeah, you've list. got 12 13 14 uh left something like yeah that. And, yeah and yeah. and how long how long have you been, have you been working on this project no, it's been probably five years now four yeah. years yeah well um <laughs> uh, I I've been working on the New Hampshire 48 4,000 footers since 1996. Well, I'm, I'm uh, not that far out. <laughs> How many? I, you got? I still have four to go. So oh, yeah. it's yeah, it has taken me uh, quite. We should a long talk time. after the show, and maybe we could. <laughs> oh, I'm oh I'm sure. I, well, I, I mean, I know for sure. I've got Owl's Head isolation. And the two tri pyramids, North Tri Pyramid and South yeah. tri, uh, tri Pyramid. So, yeah. um, so if you've got if you've got owl's head isolation of the tri pyramids to do, uh, my mm -hmm. wife and I, Karen, are we're you know, we're going to be looking uh, for some for some companies. Turns out, we, isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not done isolation. Yeah, the, yeah, I've done the tri pyramids. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Long story long, I, I think we have yeah. saved. We have saved the worst for for I've saved the worst for for last. Um, Steve, you're you, fun because you can kind of you know it, it's not really any sort of a time limit. It's when you that's, that's get around to doing it. Absolutely so. true, and you can cert and you can absolutely take your time for sure. Yeah. Um, Steve, you you've undergone quite a physical transformation in the last <laughs> year or so. Again, yeah. you know, doing my doing my social media research and just scrolling through some photos. Um, yeah. I, I, and it's funny because I, when did we see each other uh, this past summer at, yeah. uh, August. Uh, at, at Haley, uh, Haley Heinrich's wedding. Um, yeah. It was August. Thank you, Jesse. Um, and uh, of course, you know, you, you looked amazing then of course, well, but that's kind of how I remembered you looking yeah. until, until yeah. I was scrolling through some photos and I realized, Wow. Um, yeah, you've no, undergone I, a transformation. Tell us about that. Well, <laughs> it all started <laughs> back a long time ago when someone, um, we won't mention any names, asked if I was interested in a full Ironman. Um, well, I guess it started when it was more, it was the half iron. It was the White Mountains. Yeah, it was an Olympic. So I oh, needed a guide. So in June of 21, I needed a guide. My guide had backed out like 10 days before so the I got race. And so I called, I was like, all right, let me see if Steve will do it. So he had been <laughs> kayaking alongside me while I was swimming and we had been biking and running together, but he wasn't doing any swimming, but I called him and I'm like, Hey, do you want to try a triathlon? Cause we had chatted about it a little bit. And he was like, sure. Like no hesitation. Just how hard, sure. How hard can that be? And I'm like, okay. So he got in the water, swam about 600 yards. I thought he was going to drown. <laughs> he went back out a couple more times and then we did the white mountain triathlon and it was the choppiest, coldest water that that lake could have possibly been but he was a champ he did yeah. it and it was brutal. stuck with it it and... was brutal i thought i was going to die <laughs> and um but yeah and then yeah so and then after the, that uh, we, we decided on the iron man chattanooga and that's where it all kind of began and then it was you know the swimming i i was big in swimming from a long time ago and bicycling um obviously growing up kids riding bikes but 
when you start riding hundred mile <laughs> bike rides and and all of the swimming, yeah, it, it transformed you. But it was that was part of the fun was mm. you know you, all um, of the training. Would would you be willing to share how much weight you lost? I would say probably between maybe 30 pounds up to, I'd say 30. I was like 180 and I was down to like 150, 155. Yeah. Pretty amazing. In that area. Yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. Well, the pictures are, yeah. uh, the, the pictures are really quite, quite striking. You, uh, you yeah. know, I mean, you both put in a lot of work for sure. Oh, um, so um, you, we didn't really talk about how the two of you met. Uh, we're we're going to talk about your 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 work together uh, in a moment. But uh, how did the two of you meet? That question, by the way, was that was my wife's question. I was talking to her, <laughs> um, so, I was talking to her before the show, and she said, "Make sure you ask them how they met." I'm like, oh, okay, okay go I, ahead. Yeah, that wasn't on my list. But so, how did the two of you meet? So I was a runner, obviously, and it was someone through acidotic that put out an email and I forget who it was. And it was me and someone else and asked, you know, I know you two live in the, the new London area. There's a woman that is looking for a guide. She's blind. Is anyone interested? And I kind of looked at the email and thought to myself, I'm like, why not? <laughs> so I answered the email and I came over to where she was living at the time. Um, I pull in the driveway, get out of the truck and, and introduce myself. And she walks over with the tether and she's like, okay, you ready? <laughs> <laughs> said, uh, and I almost ran her into a telephone pole that day. <laughs> I, honestly, I was, I was doing my best to, to, you know, watching the sidewalk and I wasn't sure. I didn't know what I was doing. I was coaching you as we went. Yeah, but you <laughs> knew the, the route yeah, too because you had run it so many times. And that's another thing that impressed me was that how did she know that sidewalk was there? I'm like, how did she know we were turning left? How did we know it? But, you know, after so many times, it just becomes so ingrained in running that route time and time again. And that's, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's how we met and then it just yeah. took off from there <laughs> um jesse do you remember do you remember the story differently than that <laughs> no she um, claims she saw the telephone pole i did i saw because the sidewalks around here are really narrow and so whenever we're running on a sidewalk he we have to basically be like touching arms or else one of us is either falling off the curb or running into bushes and telephone poles um, and so there no, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I want to get into I want to get into that um, that dynamic um, of the two of you, and um, uh, you know what does it mean to be guided? Um, you know what what makes a good guide? Um, um, you know what some of the things, Steve, that you've learned. Let's 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 get into that. But let's let me let me set it up this way. So. Uh, together, you both have completed numerous triathlons and also running specific events, along with, as Jesse mentioned, you know, downhill skiing and Nordic skiing. And, and uh, I think one of you mentioned uh, open water swimming or things that you've done. But, but recently, uh, and again, you alluded to this, I think, earlier, recently you both completed uh, Ironman Chattanooga mm -hmm. in Tennessee. Now, now, Steve... <laughs> 
Steve, you had mentioned to me that um, before you met Jesse, that you hadn't thought about being a triathlete. Uh, now, now you're an Ironman triathlete, Steve. Uh, what changed your mind? <laughs> I guess it was the the Olympic that we did, the first that we did. It, it was just fascinating. I guess just combining, uh, you know, listening to to Jess. She had done what two others before. I've done a couple of halves. Yeah. So, so, I mean, just hearing about those and the, the training and the bricks and it, it just, yeah. Training it, it for a triathlon is intense. It's, well, it's, <laughs> so it's, he wanted to jump on board the crazy train. It's, and... <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it, it's life changing. It really is to, it, it's really exciting. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, 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 I suspect that, um, I mean, as much as any other endurance sport uh, or endurance sports, there's a there's a there's a tremendous sense of of accomplishment when you finish a triathlon, rather right? right. whether it's whether it's your first sprint triathlon or or it's an Olympic distance or or you move up to the half iron or even a full iron. That Ironman finish line was unreal. Yeah. I was going to say just just <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so let's yeah let's let's talk about that actually. Um, the events uh, themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. Uh, I, I watched some of the some of the videos um, of the two of you finishing Ironman mm-hmm. Chattanooga. Um, Jesse, tell us about Ironman Chattanooga. Uh, what was that like? Take us uh, take us through the preparation for it. Um, uh, yeah, how long did you guys train for it? And then um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how race day went. Um, so as far as the training, you know, it was interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. So I had never taken, so I started, my first triathlon was during COVID. It was September. It was the Sunapee Triathlon. It was the only one that happened that year around here, put on by Millennium Running. And so I did that in September of 2020. And from then until Ironman Chatty this year, or in 2022, I hadn't like taken a season off or a break. Um, And so I just kept like slowly building. And then last I don't know, uh, October maybe of 21, I reached out to my good friend, Kenny Niddle, who is a coach down in Pennsylvania. And he's also a guide um, for blind athletes. And I was like, you know, it might be helpful to have a coach that understands that dynamic and stuff. And so I reached out to him and I said, hey, would you consider coaching? And he said, absolutely. And he created a plan. You know, we worked together up through Chattanooga And he was, I mean, I don't want to say he's the reason I was successful, but like having a coach is so helpful just to keep you on track and accountable and just someone to talk through challenges with and successes with and accountability. Yeah. And someone who like, you know, like we were scheduled to do two 20 mile runs, like back to back weekends one of them being after an 80, a hundred mile bike ride. But the first, but the first 20 mile run, I had hurt my hip like after the run. And so I was reaching out to him and I'm like, you know, I don't know if I should do this. Like, should I do the, the, the next 20 mile run? And he was like, no, you know, don't push yourself. You're too close to the race. Like let yourself heal. And I was like, yeah, but am I gonna like, am I setting myself up for, failure like by not doing this and he was able to talk me through just that process of like no it you know the second 
20 miler was more for like your confidence and just so you had confidence in yourself. And so just someone to talk through things with. He just wanted to punish you. (laughs) Just, just someone to talk through things with. And so that was really helpful. Um, Training was intense. I mean, there were weekends we were biking all day Saturday and then, you know, doing a hundred mile bike ride Saturday and then Sunday running 20 miles. And it, is true. I've never experienced like you hear triathletes when they say you have to put your life on the back burner and you really do. Like my family went on the back burner. Steve's family went on the back burner. Like it was training, 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 right. eat, sleep, breathe, yeah. train. Didn't have dinner until like um, nine, 10 o'clock. At yeah. Night. Like our, we got in this habit, this schedule just because of our training schedule. We were eating dinner at like eight 30 right. every night. And it's like, great. And now we're going to go to bed on, you know, after eating. And so, but it was fun. We kept it fun by going new places. You know, we'd go bike on the seacoast or run on the seacoast or, you know, travel to different places just to do different routes. We rode, there's a bike race called the Prouty in New Hampshire. And so we Hanover. rode, yeah, so in Hanover, Durham, New Hampshire. And so like we rode that bike route, not the not during the race, but we just took their route and did it. Um and so, you know, we kept it interesting. We definitely had fun with it, but there were definitely days that I was like, oh, why am I doing this? Yeah, it's, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's long, long and yeah, arduous for sure. I mean, it's grueling, but it's so fun. Like, you know, you kind of flip-flop back and forth between the two. When it all ends, you're <laughs> searching for what to do. Yeah, you have a lot of time. Um, so so going, going into the event then, um, uh, were you confident? Did so, you, I mean, did you, did you, did you feel like, yeah, this is something yeah. we're going to be able to do? Yeah, I did. So going into it, I felt I would tell people I'm confident, but I have a healthy respect for the distance. I wasn't scared of it. Like I didn't fear it, but I was like, I definitely respect the intensity. <laughs> um, it also helped that we trained on hills, like it's New Hampshire. So everywhere has hills <laughs> and Chattanooga is surprisingly hilly like the course is hilly it's definitely not flat um so i think our landscape helped in training too Mm. um so steve uh before you met jesse had you ever guided a blind athlete i had not Mm. no i had Uh, not um things i suspect catch me to the the tether was the first time (laughs) things i suspect probably improved uh, after that first tethering experience, you running yeah. her into the telephone pole, or <laughs> she would have ditched you uh, probably as soon as you got back from the run to find another guide. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Your, your, your services will not be needed any longer. <laughs> um, Jesse, technically what, what does it mean to be, to be guided? We've been using that term to be guided. What, what, well, what, so- what does that mean? So there's a lot of variables depending on how much vision someone has. But for me, um, I use a bicep tether. So it's kind of like a bungee material that goes around. It loops around my um, my bicep and then there's a strip of cloth and then it goes around and then it goes around his bicep. Um, And it allows you by attaching up on your arm versus hand holding something it allows you to swing your arm naturally. Hmm. Um, some people will use waist tethers. Um, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Just something that goes around your waists rather than your arms. 
Um, and other people will use a handheld, you know, they'll just hold like a string or a rope or something um, to connect them. And so the level of information that the guide is providing really depends on the athlete. Um, like I said earlier, I tell my guides, Conditions. I tell my guides to pretend like I can't see anything because I'd rather them warn me about a pothole rather than them assuming that I can see the pothole. Right. Um, we're going left. We're going. Yeah. Right. And so it's a lot of just cues, like anything that you would want to know, like, all right, you know, there's, we're coming to the top of the hill is a good one. Um, you know, cause it's like, instead of me having to be like, are we done with this dang hill yet? It's more <laughs> like him just being like, okay, station. like, Aid yeah, station. like we're halfway up the hill, like, you know, just cues like that, or, you know, we're going to gradually go left, gradually go right, or, you know, sharp left, sharp right. Um, so kind of verbal cueing where we're going. Um, and then stuff like at aid stations, he'll help grab waters or grab bananas or whatever, um, just to make it faster. Hmm. Steve, um, what, what, what are some things that you've learned uh, over your time uh, guiding Jesse? It, it, it's, I don't, really think there's much like what she has said um you're just giving cues as to that we're coming up on a car this up here i can see the end i can see you know why are we walking well it's because we're going up a very steep hill and everyone else is pretty much walking too <laughs> right um the aid station what's there you know you're kind of just getting your head they've, they've got pretzels they've got pickles they've got you know name off everything they've got She'll tell me what she wants and then, you know, off we go. But I think you've learned to be more vocal. Like when Steve's not a big chatter when he runs, like he yeah. doesn't like talking. Mm -hmm. And when we first, and I still have to remind him sometimes, like sometimes what are he'll, we doing? Yeah. Like sometimes <laughs> he'll just stop talking, but he'll like stop moving or like, he'll just suddenly turn left or right or something. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, but I think you've learned to be more descriptive or yeah, and yeah. vocal. And it's more so on the, on the bike. Cause I mean, running you're, you're at the tether, you're a foot apart basically. So, I mean, she has a good idea of where we're going. Um, besides the basic things, it, it's not, all that much on the bike. I think I can give her better, you know, we're coming up on a hill, you know, it, she'll feel it downshift and we're about to head up a hill or why are we going so fast? Or it, it's, where was it in Chattanooga with the, the one that we slipped on the, Oh, we, we hit Chattanooga has these weird rumble strips in the in middle the of middle their roads road. instead of just on either side. And so we were trying to pass someone and they kind of pushed us over. And we so we almost went we over hit the rumble strip. We were going very fast. And she said, what was that? I'm like, nothing. And then, well, I mean, at the end, we had a flat tire a mile in a mile from the end and she never told me yeah i didn't, I didn't tell him because <laughs> i knew he'd want to stop and like fix it and i was like no it's fine <laughs> we're, we're just, going we're to just transition. done <laughs> it's, um it's basic stuff that you'd think that when someone can't see you just kind of explain what's coming up and yeah i've had a lot of guides because i have a decent network of runners in the area that i run with and they say it's pretty intuitive. Like none of them have been like, wow, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. um, they all say it's pretty 
you know, pretty intuitive, pretty yeah. easy. Um, so I, I want to ask about, uh, trust. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to get both of your perspectives, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, how big of a factor, uh, do you think trust is in this, um, uh, in this athlete guide relationship? With the running, I mean, yeah, I, I would think that she's putting a lot of trust into my decisions and where we're headed or the conditions or, or dangerous situations like heavy traffic on a on the side of a road. Are we far enough to the side or the, the, the breakdown lane wide enough? But um, I think probably one of the biggest things that really kind of got me, and I don't know if I ever said anything to her, but with the rock climbing, um, you know, here I am belaying her. Well, we had belayed and climbed and climbed and belayed. And one time she said, I want to learn how to belay. And I was like, uh, <laughs> but it was me putting my trust in her and like thinking to myself, well, she has always trusted me. So and I, I guess and <laughs> here I, we go. So, and I haven't dropped you. No, she has not. <laughs> but I mean, it's reverse role reversal, pretty much, mm -hmm. with the, the trust thing. And you know, I hadn't really even thought about like with on the bike or you, yeah, she's. There's been a couple of times where you've been like, "Wow, that was a good save." We went yeah. into some dirt and off the pavement, where yeah. almost tipped over, and we didn't. But Steve um, is a great bike handler. Yeah, in our it, first triathlon, he had like two waters and two bananas in his hands, and he's keeping the bike up. And I'm like, how are you doing that? Like, give me some of this stuff. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's where I think I, I noticed it the most. Yeah. The, the ice climbing and rock climbing. It's like, here I've always, you know, she's put her trust in me. Well, I guess it's time for me to put my trust in her. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good point. Um mm. And, and Jesse, what about from from your perspective? How how big of a of a factor is is trust for you? Yeah, I mean it's huge. I've had guides that make little mistakes, you know, like I've rolled my ankles a couple times, nothing nothing bad. Um, but I mean it's it's trust in the sense of, you know, when you're running, you can get really hurt really easy, you know, breaking an ankle or I forgot about skiing things like that and. Like on the bike, we're going, I mean, Steve and I go, like we've gone, we have a hill around here and we call it 55 mile an hour hill because, because <laughs> the bike gets so fast going down it. And, you know, I mean, that's huge trust because I have no control over the bike. Um, and well, neither, so, neither do I, but I don't say anything. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, it's, he's in control and you, you have to just have faith in your guide. There has been a couple of times where with other guides, I've been like, I'm not really so sure. Like, and I think it's yeah. also with time. Yeah. You're doing it. So, so many times you just, the trust is there. Mm -hmm. um, well, I would, I would imagine the, um, the greater the risk associated with the activity, yeah, exactly. the greater the level of trust that's required in order mm -hmm. for the athlete and guide relationship to work and yeah and, and i'm to, much more picky out. about my triathlon guides than my running guides like i kind of pretty much say anybody can run and guide but for triathlons it's a little yeah you're coming out of the water yeah it's a little more intense i'd say just because yeah, of the bike for sure for sure um 
uh, Jesse, as it relates to, as it relates to, to, to guides, um, uh, do's and don'ts, what, uh, for, for folks that might be interested in becoming a guide, uh, or guiding a blind athlete, wh what are some things for guides to keep in mind in terms of do's and don'ts? Um, well, there's actually a cool website. I'm going to put a plug in for a website. So Please. Yes. it's called United in Stride. Thank you. Um, and it's a place where you can make a profile and say if you're sighted or blind and, you know, what your preferences are, what your running pace is, what your, um, you know, if you're a triathlete or a runner or just a biker, like whatever sports you're into. And then you, you kind of just match up with people in your local area. Um, and so like when I go on vacation, you know, I'll, I'll look up like, oh, are there any guides in, you know, Clearwater Beach, Florida um, or whatever? Like I'll just, wherever I'm going, it's like, oh, are there any guides there? I bet there are. And so I'll find people like that. Very cool. um, Way to network. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, so as far as like, there's no real hard and fast like don'ts because everybody is different um, as far as like what information they mean they need. I'd say like go in with an open mind and like wanting to have fun and just ask your athlete like what do you need like what what cues do you want like and just kind of gather information as far as like how much vision they have what can they see. And just kind of keep that in open dialogue. Um, I guess the least helpful thing to do would just be like, you know, we're running along and then you go, look out. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so like vague things like that. Like, don't be vague. Um, you know, don't just scream, look out or things like that. Um, mm. Like that wouldn't be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, An idea of what you're going into. But you know, just have an open dialogue and, um, yeah. Well, I, yeah. And I, I think you made a really good, really good point about asking your athlete about the extent of their vision. You know, yeah. I, it, to me, that would seem like a, that would seem like a difficult question for a sighted individual to ask their blind athlete, yeah. but, Some but people to, find but, it awkward, but it's not like it's, yeah. you know, it would be like, it again, it's not usually a big deal because you need to know the information. It's something they've been dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Um, so like you're never gonna ask an athlete. You're not as a guide, if you show up to guide an athlete and you say, Hey, can you tell me about their vision? They're not gonna look at you and go, None of your business. Yeah, yeah, no. It's a, um, it's a good you know, it's, it's a, a very point. open dialogue. And yeah, it's a good point. But and and I, I I appreciate you mentioning that that it would be an awkward question to ask because I yeah. I feel I feel like it would. Steve, what about from your perspective? Um, now that you've, um, you've been guiding for a little while, um, if, if you, if, if someone approached you and said, Steve, I, I'm interested in, 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 in being a guide, what, yeah. you know, what, what's your experience been like? What, what, what should I know? Uh, what, what advice would you share about, about being a guide as you are one yourself? Listen to what they have to say, um, what they're comfortable with, um, the, the type of tether they want to use. It, it's what type of running is it like trail flat? Um, whatever it might be. There's all sorts of, we just did a, a cross country ski clinic up in Craftsbury, Vermont. And 
there was what like a two-hour session where sam one of the the instructors he had a group come in and was mm -hmm. doing you know guiding for nordic skiing and there were yeah. probably eight or ten people that were interested so i'm sure it's the same with the running there, there's got to be um groups or, or even there is yeah places yeah. that well yeah like the place you just men mentioned yeah now um Steve, and, when you when when you're guiding uh, Jesse, is is she running your pace or are you running her pace? We're, you know, that's one thing that's actually nice about being a guide is that you've got each other to one have conversation with, two to provide motivation because some days you just don't feel like doing it. And, oh, come on, we got to get this done, and you do it. Um, Rule of thumb is the guide should be a stronger athlete um, mm -hmm. because I'm asking the guide to just guide to guide. Like it's my race and that sounds really selfish, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's my race. Like I need you there to help me be successful. And so like, if you run a 10 minute mile, but I'm trying to do, you know, a two hour half marathon, like that's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. And so they say that you're, if you're a guide, your worst day should fit my best day so that you don't mess up my race. <laughs> um, that's a, like, that's kind of rule of thumb. Um, and with the swimming, like with the swimming, I'm yeah, not supposed to be swimming. Front. He's not supposed to be ahead of me. I've got to slow down. Which he's a faster swimmer than me. So he has to watch. I'm constantly looking his, to my left yeah. to see that she's ahead of me because you'll, they'll disqualify you if, yeah. out if I'm ahead of her. Yeah, and yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, I I want to talk a little bit more yeah. about about the swimming. Um, uh, in fact, let's 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 talk a little bit about um, uh, Ironman. Um, uh, well, I mean, we can we can, we can talk about um, races in general and their openness to people with disabilities, um, and um, you know. Jesse, your your perspective on mm -hmm. on that, but let let's start with Iron Man because we've been we've been talking about Iron Man. Obviously, uh, Iron Man um, either makes accommodation for uh, or um, welcomes um, athletes with disabilities. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so they do. Talk, talk um, about, talk about that a little bit. What's interesting about Iron Man is each race isn't directed by the same director, and so like you're dealing with different people for each race. Like it's a company, but then you're dealing with different people. And so right. Directors. there's been a couple of times, not many, but like, I think two races where I had to like email two or three times to be like, Hey, I've emailed you. I'm asking for like, I'm telling you my guide needs to register. We can't race until we get this link. Like, can you help us out? But that's usually they'll answer and be like, Oh, sorry. Like, here you go. Um, usually they're super responsive and super welcoming. And, um, yeah, it's a really, really good atmosphere. Um, I will say there's not a ton of, so there's a physically challenged division PC. for, for Ironman races. And so like, sometimes I'm the only PC female and it's like, I would like some competition. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of a drag um, just cause you know, if I was competing in the F, 25 to 30, 29 category, there would be a ton of people. And yeah, so yeah, I'll, just yeah, take and my, I'll just take my numbers and kind of weasel my way in to see like where I would have been, but it's not, you know, that's not official. Well, no, but, but, 
but why what why, why do you why do you think why do you think that is why do you think there aren't as many um uh physically challenged individuals um entering these types of events why why is that i think you're seeing more yeah i think as time goes on there will be more um I think people are just realizing that there is, you know, that they can do it. Um, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people focus on, or are, you know, when you're raised, when you're raised being told that you, you know, don't do that, honey, you're going to get hurt. That's dangerous. Don't do that. Like, you know, you, you get this fear um whereas if you have somebody who's like no go give it a shot like go try it um yeah yeah. and so i think i think people are learning to be more uh engaged in the endurance community um but i don't know there's just you know i don't know (laughs) i wish i could i wish i could grow the I wish I could grow it for sure. Uh, well, I mean, I think I, I, I think just by your example, um, you 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 work to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think Do you think Ironman, uh, the the company, the organization, um, has any responsibility to um, to promote the sport to the physically challenged, or or is that or, or, or is that is that is that not their is that not their business? I, mean, do they I not- don't think they have to, but like it would be nice if they would. Like it would go above and beyond what they need to do, but it would be really nice if they did. Like I know Seven Sisters Trail Race just advertised and let like what was it women register uh, early or something, and so like just little mm-hmm. perks, little perks like that for you know like make it a community, make it like, Hey, let's go do this race in, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And like, let's try to get as many PC athletes athletes as we can kind of thing. Like just, I think they could help to grow the community for sure. Whether it's their place. Yeah. doesn't have to be, but. Well, well, I mean, they, 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 they certainly have, they certainly have the resources. Yeah. Um, And um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those those things where you know you can you can you can do good by doing well, right? In other words, yeah. Iron Man is a very successful company. Um, they could do a lot for the physically challenged by promoting their sport to that group and to that community. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to, um, right. um, but they certainly could be through their lead. Um, yeah, they, exactly. they likely, yeah, they likely would, they likely would, um, engage, inspire, motivate other race organizations to do the same. I mean, I think, you know, as a, as a race director myself, I think, I think, I think that is one of our greatest challenges that, and that is how do we reach, how do we reach that category, uh, you know, of, of, of athlete? Um, how do we, how do we create opportunity? Uh, yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we welcome these athletes, you know, into this greater mm-hmm. en- endurance community. I mean, I mm-hmm. think as, I think as race directors, we all have that responsibility yeah. um, because, uh, because the truth is Jesse, that, that, you know, there, there are others like you out there mm-hmm. or, right. and, or there are other people, there are other people out there that are just waiting for the opportunity. You know, they mm-hmm. haven't yet got into the sport. Um, 
but they would they would gladly get into the sport. Yeah. If there were if there were more opportunities. Yeah. And there are there are opportunities popping up, not necessarily within Ironman, but like Challenged Athletes Foundation, um, Team Catapult. Like there are different organizations that offer and like they're specifically for physically challenged athletes. And so, you know, they'll do like a triathlon camp or you know, um, a tandem bike camp and things like that. So you guys do. Yeah. So there's, there's things out there, but they're just, um, you know, it's just advertising and getting the word out and growing. Uh, well, again, I think, I think both, both you and Steve are, are, are leaders in that, in that regard. Um, uh, getting back to Ironman. So, um, Ironman has a physically challenged category, right? That's Mm -hmm. what what you said. Um, So what what are the rules uh, as it relates to um, athletes being guided at a Ironman distance triathlon? I'm curious about uh, um, swim specific rules, bike specific rules, and run specific rules. What what can you share? So the swim rules is he has to be. So the tether is probably I don't know, like two or three feet long, like between us. It attaches at the waist, and it attaches yeah at the waist and the thigh. Um, and so he can't be ahead of me because um, they don't want him pulling me okay. faster. Um, and that's really easy to do in the water. <laughs> um, and so he has to make sure he has to look at my reach and make sure that his reach isn't going above above me. Okay. And other than that for the swim, I don't really think there's mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the big one is just don't get ahead of your athlete. Yeah. All right. Um, follow, follow up question. Follow up question to that, if I may. Either one mm-hmm. of you, either one of you can answer. So, um, so the, the 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 tether you said is about two feet or so, right? Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, the the swim start uh, in most triathlons, triathlons, particularly if it's a mass swim start, is is can be described as utter chaos. If, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's accurate. Is, it's like a cage. It's like a cage fight <laughs> in the water, right? You've Pretty got, much, yeah. You've got, you, yeah, you've got, you've got dozens of people swimming yeah. over the top of you. You know, clawing, grabbing, <laughs> pulling. Um, and I mean, it, it, the PC class out in front of all of that. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, so that's... we start. We start right behind the pros, and okay. so um, I usually tell my guide, like, let's get over to a side, like let's pick a side, and just let the faster people go by us. I, I try and stay to one um, side as best I can. Yeah. You um, know, there has been an instance where like, what race was it? It wasn't the full Ironman. I think it was um, Muscleman, which is a half iron in um, Geneva, New York. And yeah. I think there was, I think it was that race where there was one swimmer that was insistent that he or yeah. she needed to swim between us and so i finally like had to grab their head and be like <laughs> go around like you can't go between us you're gonna get caught in this rope i, I don't suggest trying to swim between us um, a mean right book. <laughs> um but it, i mean that can be dangerous for the athlete and us you yeah. know um, um so and we try and, to stay to a side just yeah to, and uh i mean maybe it's a silly question but do you um, do, do either of you wear, uh, a different color swim cap than other participants in order to identify the fact that the two of you are tethered so together some in the water? races do and some don't. Okay. Um, yeah, I've gotten put in a swim cap with my age group and then others I'm 
we're, you know, the PC has their own swim cap. Okay. Um, Steve, technical question, swim related question for you. Um, when you're guiding in the water, um, uh, do you, when you breathe, are you breathing to the side that your athlete is swimming on so that you can keep an eye on your athlete? Um, yes. and if, if that's the case, do you have a preferred side, uh, that, that, uh, that, that you would have Jesse swim on or does it, is it up to her? How do you decide what side she swims on? It was up to her. And, um, I was always on the right. So I just kind of got used to her being on the left. Okay. And yes, I'm, I'm looking in the water and as I come up, um, and then, you know, you're following the, the, the markers, the buoys. So you're looking up, you're looking to your left and you're trying to stay behind her the whole time. So Got it's. Got it. Um, I typically would tell my guides. So Chattanooga was interesting because it was a downriver swim. And so it was like a straight shot. But usually it's like a triangle or a rectangle, whatever the shape is. Usually yeah, you're you turning, usually you're turning around buoys. And right. so I'll typically tell my guide I'm going to go on the inside so that when they're swimming, when they want to turn us, I just swim they over can the just top they can it. like crowd me, and I'll naturally just kind of move away because I'm like, oh, why are you swimming on me? Got it, got it, got it. Um, and and Jesse, for you, technical swim question. Uh huh. What feedback, if, if any, do you get from the tether uh, on your on your guide uh, or are you are you also breathing uh, and citing your 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 guide uh, or what what feedback are you getting either from the tether or from or from, uh, you know, or from the side that you're breathing on in terms of your in terms of your guide? Um, so I typically bilateral breathe. So every other I'll like switch sides. Um, and so with the tether, I, so I don't care what side my guide is on. And with the tether, I think the, honestly, the best part of the tether in the water is just keeping us together. Cause otherwise we would get so lost in the madness. <laughs> um, and then just the, the turning. Cause you, he doesn't pick his head up and say like, okay, we need to turn right. Like he'll just either pull me right. Or kind of, like I said, swim over me to make me turn. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good point. And he's right? using his body to, to turn. Right. Rather than, rather than verbal cueing, because mm -hmm. you're, yeah. you're in the water, your face is in the water, obviously, yeah. you're, other than when you're breathing, but even, it's virtually impossible to try to have a conversation with somebody when you're actually swimming, when you're both yeah. swimming in the water. So, yeah. so it's less, uh, it's less verbal communication, uh, more, um, Steve using his body to guide you around uh, a buoy uh, yep. and, and to keep Boats. you yeah, to keep you swimming in a straight line and straight line swimming is really important in triathlon, obviously, yeah. because the, because the, yeah, the, the, the fastest distance between two points is a straight line, right? Uh -huh. So, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the better you, you get at straight line, straight line swimming, yeah. uh, the faster you end up uh, in, in uh, pulling off those swim lines. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so out of the water, yeah, out of the water you you guys get and um, uh, transition uh, through transition one and then on to the bike. Obviously, you're on a tandem bike. Tell us, yeah. tell us, tell us more about that that tandem bike. What what kind of bike is it? Uh, how specialized is this bike? Um, well, her name is Rocket. Rocket, all right, <laughs> and for she, good reason. Um, it's a Santana is the brand, and so Santana. We recently. Well, I guess a year and a half ago now, we put um, ETAP SRAM, like electronic shifting on, 
There it is so nice. Yeah. Um, what a difference. I, I had never known between manual shifting and electronic. Um, and so we upgraded that and the bike is made out of a lot of carbon, some aluminum. It's pretty light as far as tandems, as far as tandems go, it's light. Um, but like, if you're used to a regular bike and you pick it up, you're like, whoa, it's kind of heavy. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but it's, I so, would guess it's like 25 pounds, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it's right. super light. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's the only requirement um, for Ironman for the bike part is okay. you, as a blind athlete, you have to be on a tandem. Okay. All right. Um, and um, this bike has aero bars. Yep. Yep. Um, you, you know, in other words, you, you, and you both can be in arrow. You both can be in that, that arrow position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of my things is I will say, you know, we're going into arrow. Yeah. He'll or, say like ready to, ready to go into arrow. Okay. Stop right. pedaling. Um, yep. So that, right. So that Jesse doesn't end up being like a sail, right. Right. And, uh, right yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, or like an anchor. Um, <laughs> uh, right. so how much, um, so Jesse, you, you have, you have no, quote unquote control on the bike. You I are... have no brakes and no control over the gears. Right. Um, You're the engine. Yeah. So our pedals are connected. Um, so that like, you know, when my right foot is going forward, so is his. Okay. And so he can't stop pedaling without me knowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he, like, I can tell, like if I'm putting in more or less power, and so that's like a silent communication. Like if I start kicking in more power, he's like, okay, she wants to go faster. Okay. Or if um, he's pulling back, sometimes I'll say to him, why are you pulling back? And other times I'm like, oh, he's, you know, we're, we're going to slow down or whatever. So it's, yeah. you know, there are silent cues. Yeah. Um, and Steve, what, what about the, what about the, um, the obvious verbal cues? Uh, what types of, what types of information or feedback are you giving Jesse when the two of you are on the bike? It's pretty simple. It's we've got a hill ahead. Go into arrow. Um, we can take a break. Stop pedaling. Um, lift your butt off the seat and take a break <laughs> for a second. We're heading downhill. Um, we're coming up on someone. We're going to pass. We got to you know give it some. We got to get by this person. Um, it, it's typically you don't stand when you're on a on a tandem just because it's so wobbly. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you are on a huge hill and like, you need to stand, it's a countdown. Like he'll be like, we're going to stand in three, two, one up so that we're both in sync. Got it. Um, cause it. you don't want to start high speed wobbling. Mm. Uh, nope. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve, how much, um, uh, how much how much feedback do you do you attempt to get from her in terms of how she's feeling in order to gauge her her energy levels her her fatigue are you are you asking her about that uh, um, during the during the race I can yeah like what mile are we on um, we're we're on to the second loop uh, it, it's really not that much it, it's kind of get on and pedal he checks in he'll be like how are you feeling yeah um kind of a heads up for you chris because i know you guys are talking about working together he's terrible at fueling and so <laughs> so i'll say to him like you know. eat. like yeah yeah it's time to eat like i was his like 
alarm clock. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got water <laughs> so, right so, and so, so, you can reach up and grab yeah, my so water and hand it to me. Yeah, so I grab snacks and stuff because they're in his back. Mm-hmm. So I'll like grab the snacks for him. So, so Jesse, so Jesse, you're you're doing as much checking in with Steve as Steve yeah. is uh, checking in with you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's strengths and weaknesses of each team. Um, you know, I've had guides who have reminded me to eat because mm. they actually have it set on their watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it depends on who you're, you know, each team is a little bit different. Yeah. And um, and then uh, you're transitioning in transition two and uh, um, putting run. on your running shoes and, <laughs> and, and off you guys go. You mentioned before. Um, the shorter uh, uh, bicep tether. Yep. Um, in terms of Ironman, um, uh, Ironman, the company. What uh, uh, what rules, if any, are there for um, the athlete and guide on the run? You know, it's funny. I don't know. Because <laughs> I, um, I just already. like I don't know. I don't think you have to be tethered for the run, but maybe you do. Because I need the tether, so I don't pay attention to like if they required or not. Hmm. Cause some athletes, like I have a couple of friends who are legally blind, but they have like tunnel vision it's called. And so like, they can see like a decent amount, but like a tiny spot in their eye. And so like, like they can like follow somebody. Um, so I don't, I honestly don't know. Got it. Okay. So, but suffice to say, um, there's no requirement to be tethered. I don't um, think so. Yeah. And um, there are different types of tethers as, mm-hmm. as you, as you described before, right? There's a bicep tether. You could be tethered uh, at the, at the waist. Um, you could, you could be holding a, a, a piece of a piece of rope um, to, to tether together. So, um, so any, 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 any number of different ways uh, yeah. right, to, to do that. Um yeah, and then um, and then sort of uh, to 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 wrap up the conversation about Tennessee Chattanooga, um, you you mentioned you mentioned how amazing the finish was. Uh, talk a little bit more about both of you. Talk a little bit more about uh, what it was like to finish. Uh, oh my Ironman gosh! So <laughs> so it's a two loop run course, and so you run over this bridge and then you turn right to go into the finish or you turn left to go do your second loop. And so back out again. So we did our second loop and we're on the bridge and we're headed over to turn, you know, we're on the bridge and you can hear every time you're on the bridge, you can hear them saying like, John Smith, you're an iron man. And so it's like, I want to be there. And so the second time we were on the bridge, I said, are you ready to kick it into gear? Like, cause I said, leave a little in the tank because we need to look like we're flying on the finish line. <laughs> and so, so, so <laughs> when we were on the bridge, I don't know how, maybe like 0.2 miles left. Like it was pretty short. Um, but I was like, are you ready? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, let's wait till we get to the straightaway. Like, let's wait till we get a little closer. And I'm like, uh okay i guess so (laughs) so then we turned into the straightaway and like as soon as we turned i started like booking it and he was like wait not yet not yet and i'm like yes yeah let's go like i was like pulling i was like let's go and so it was so cool so there was so many people it's the most people i've ever seen at a finish line like just screaming their heads off like cheering and jumping and celebrating you and then iron man has Cause it's dark when we finished, but Iron Man has these lights. And so it's lit up and it's this red carpet and you're coming in and you're just 
you feel like the whole world is looking at you for like one second. <laughs> it's really cool. And they're like cheering for you. Like they're screaming for you. And then you hear the guy on the speaker say your name and that you're an Iron Man. And it's like, oh my God, finally, like I'm done. <laughs> I did it. And then you sign up for another one. And then you, <laughs> then you figure out what you're doing next. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what about, what about for you? Uh, was that, was that one of the coolest uh, finish, uh, finish yes. lines you've ever experienced? Yes, it was. It, it really was. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's everything has added up and you've made it. And that was a brutal, uh, we will add that <laughs> the swim, I mean, that was a very fast swim. You're swimming in the river downstream. There's, there's so a it, current. it's an incredibly That's fast swim. You're like a, what, minute and 20 second or something. Yeah, something fast. You're, you're getting a very fast swim in. But when we got out of the water, it began to downpour. <laughs> and it rained. The whole bike ride was just downpouring rain. And then... Once we got off the bike, the sun came out and it got very hot. So it was wow. like, all right. I, at, the, at the end of each one, not necessarily the swim, but at the end of the bike, it was like, all right. All right, done, done with that. <laughs> I just want to finish this. Yeah. But, it yeah. was really cool, though, because our coach, Kenny, was there and so, and my mom. And so it, seeing them around exciting. the course was really fun. And then the finish line video you've probably seen, Chris, but yeah. it's pinned to the top of my Facebook feed. And it's it's Kenny taking a video and he's screaming his head off and it's it's it the best. Um, so just knowing there in the, the whole in atmosphere, the, the whole city of Chattanooga is really. I mean, from the swim on, you're you're swimming underneath the bridges in the river. People are lined up on the tops of the bridges, you know, screaming. Yeah, at eight a.m. And, and it's just a lot of excitement. It's very. It's very People very are like cool. having parties on the side of the road, like yeah. just cheering for you and it's very playing cool. music and. Pretty exciting. Iron Man, Iron Man. Accomplishment. You realize that you've just done something that not many people do. Totally. There's no, there's no question about that. Um, What's, um, yeah. What's, uh, what's next, what's next for the two of you in terms of, uh, yeah, in terms of, in terms of races or events, you want to, you want to share that? So I'm so undecided. I still don't know. Um, I'd like to do a couple of half irons. This summer, um, I'd like to do a couple halves, and then I really, I think, just want to focus on just having fun with like running with my friends and hiking and rock climbing. Like, there's so much that, like I said earlier, that got put on the back burner. Like he and I would talk about, like, oh, it would be so nice to rock climb today, and it's like, oh well, you know, too bad we have a workout to do. Iron Man, Um, (laughs) Arizona, and so. So we, there's a lot of that that I want to do of just hiking and rock climbing and I don't know, lounging around on my stand-up paddleboard <laughs> on the lake. Um, but I definitely do want to do yeah, a, you know, two, or, two or three half irons. And then I I definitely will do another Ironman, whether it's this year, next year, or five years. I don't know. Got it. Got it. Um, and a big long run somewhere in there. <laughs> Yes. A big, a big long run. Yes. Yeah. Um, For him, not me. Yeah. Well, that's what I, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Steve and I, you, you're, you and I are going to be talking about that yes. uh, pretty soon. Yes. Um, well, very cool. Um, the bucket list. <laughs> look, I, I, I want to finish with a, with a fun segment of my show that I'd like to call three random questions. Okay. <laughs> All 
<laughs> so I've got three, I've got three random questions. Now, typically, um, you know, typically I, these podcasts are, are me and one guest. Occasionally I have, I have two guests. And so I'm going to, I'm going to change things up a little bit with my three random questions. I do have three <laughs> random questions. Um, Jesse, I'm going to ask you the first one. Uh, Steve, I'll ask you the second one. Yeah. And, and then, and then the third question, I'm going to ask you both to answer it. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Um, now, if you'll if you'll do this for me, though, can will you confirm for the listener that you have not received these questions in advance? No, I have not. Okay. So these I'm are, curious to hear what they are. Okay. Truly, <laughs> truly random. Okay. All right. Um, this is getting interesting. Yeah. It's well. This is always this is always fun. It gives me an opportunity to to see uh, my guest think on their feet. Okay, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, you're first. Uh, first random question for uh, for you, Jesse, is this. Um, Jesse, what's your best advice for making the world a better place? Open-mindedness. Be open-minded. Um, cause I think a lot of times we get stuck in our ways or, you know, we just aren't curious, like just be curious and open-minded and be willing to learn. Uh, Boy, I love that. Um, <laughs> I talk a lot about uh, curiosity and and learning um, as uh, as a mechanism to facilitate growth, right, and development. Because that's really kind of what we're all striving for, isn't it? We wanna we wanna continue to grow mm -hmm. and and to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think if you're open minded and curious and willing to learn, you're probably not gonna argue or fight about much because you'll learn perspectives and learn values and views and, and you too will yeah. do an iron <laughs> yeah i think i think that would make things better um i really like that answer um uh, steve here's here's your question yeah. um steve what's the most important thing you've learned in your life thus far <laughs> about what <laughs> right <laughs> about anything what's the most important thing you've learned in your life thus far? That you're not really promised what's going to be around tomorrow. You've really got to kind of enjoy everything. I, I'm a, a big believer in, in just do something. Don't be afraid of it. Um, I mean, to a, to a degree, but you're not guaranteed that tomorrow's going to be there. Um, yeah, well, that's coming from a guy who's who's been skydiving, so I guess <laughs> you're right. True. Right? I, I, I guess I guess you're a yeah. living you're a living example of shark that, cage. Steve. I've been in a shark cage. Right, right. What's what's that's the, another what, podcast. What, what's what's the expression? Um, the 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 reason that they call today the present is that is that it, it is a, it is truly a, a gift. gift. It yeah. really is. And right. as you live, you know, you, you realize that. Um, all right. Third be question happy with what you've got. Uh, I think that's also a really important lesson too. Mm -hmm. um, all right. La last question is a question that uh, I'll have each of you answer uh, separately. Okay. Um, so last, last random question for you. Uh, uh, Steve, we'll start with you this time. Um, Steve, bucket list trip destination. 
Oh boy. Now it doesn't have to be race, although although that might be a bonus if you could travel to this destination and do a race, but not necessarily. Steve, bucket list trip destination. Uh, oh boy, they've got so many. <laughs> I know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm pinning you down to just give me one, Steve. Yeah. And then Jesse, I'll ask you the same question. It would probably be like an Ironman in possibly New Zealand, oh. or or like a, a longer. They've got one. <laughs> a longer, longer run. Oh, um, yeah. In the same New Zealand, it's it's always been fascinating. I think it's it, it's that would be a lot of fun. I think. Um, beautiful sounds <laughs> tropical um yeah. and beachy uh and uh warm uh yeah i like i like all of that right now uh jesse same question to you bucket list trip destination well he stole mine because i've always <laughs> wanted to go to new zealand but if i had to pick a different one too i think i mean japan would be really cool just because it's so different like their culture is so different, the food, the vibe. And there's so much like, I have a Facebook friend who just went um, skiing on some incredible places in Japan. And I'm like, who would think like, right. I'm going to go to Japan for a skiing trip. Like, Very I don't know. I feel like there's just so much to Japan that we have no idea, or I have no idea. And so I would just, that would be really cool. Um yeah, cert certainly a, a much different culture yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, than yeah. than our culture. Um, if and, I may, and, real quick. Yeah, right. Full, we are full, full, filling one of those, and it would be Montana here in a couple of weeks. So oh, yep. that Very. would have always been a destination where cross-country skiing in Yellowstone. So. Oh, how cool. And how I just booked a snowmobile tour, yes. too. <laughs> how cool. How cool is that? Um, well, on the list, too. So. Uh, well, Montana is Where definitely... Where would yours out. be, Chris? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. You just <laughs> turned it around on me. Um, well, I think that... Um, now that uh, my wife and I have a reason to visit, um, I think it would be um, a European tour uh, mm. starting, but probably not ending in Germany. Um, that would I, be cool. My brother's, my excuse me, my wife's uh, younger brother now lives in Germany, and wow. uh, That's awesome. uh, he and his uh, his lady friend uh, have invited us uh, over. Uh, so I'd very, I'd love to do uh, a, a European. Take them up on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to, to stay in Europe. Isn't a bad, isn't right? A bad deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, maybe you know, maybe tour Europe uh, uh, via train. You know, Brussels mm -hmm. and. Paris and Berlin, yeah. and uh, that would uh, that would be a bucket list for me. I've 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 only traveled outside of the United States once in, um, a few years ago when we uh, went to Olympic National Park in Washington. Yeah. We uh, we took a ferry over to British Columbia. Um, so I've been to Canada once, but outside of that, I've I've not traveled outside uh, of, mm -hmm. of the United States, or I should say, I've not traveled outside of North America. I really, mm -hmm. I really would love to uh, to travel uh, to yeah, Europe. That would be nice. Um, yeah, that would and do be very some, nice. Do some active sightseeing. Um, well, Jesse and Steve, thank you, thank you so much for 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 mm -hmm. sharing your stories. I really appreciate it's, it. Thank you. Yeah, for thanks for having us. This was so much fun. <laughs>
we could have done a show exclusively about Elwood. Guide dogs have always fascinated me. Jesse and Steve are a great team. I'm so impressed by both of them. Jesse's positive attitude is entirely contagious. And as a guide, Steve's selflessness is incredibly admirable. They're really easy to root for. Well, once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.